Home Abstract and Title Company was founded in 1867 and is the oldest company still operating in McLennan County. Home Abstract is comprised of a team of honest, friendly, hardworking professionals dedicated to providing both commercial and residential real estate clients with the highest level of communication and service. Their team is committed to working hard and building and maintaining strong relationships because transactions are so much more than just deals. They are clients deserving of the courtesy, care and respect that Home Abstract and Title Company is known for. Visit Home Abstract and Title Company at homeabstract.com. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. We are deep into the Crossroads series, uh, this special series of episodes that uh, Rick Tullis is doing as my compadre on this journey through Waco's past and looking at it as Crossroads. Welcome back, Rick. Thanks. Glad to be here. I think I I feel like I got an upgrade there. I'm a compadre now. So um, I'll take it. Well, I'm excited. Waco's got such a a deep history of educational institutions, higher ed institutions, even to the point of being labeled uh, from, you know, somebody's marketing brain, the Athens of Texas at one point. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think about that? Being, being you are in academia, is, does Waco feel like Athens? Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, Having been to Athens, uh, been on the Acropolis, uh, I, I don't, maybe Lover's <laughs> Leap, has a little bit of that feel, yeah. but it's it's hard to find uh, here. But yeah, I, I you know by the late nineteenth century, it's deemed that, along with a couple of other yeah, we're not uh, the only ones. Texas and, and there's actually a real Athens, Texas. Of all you know, there's every name in the world and towns in Texas, and there is a Athens. Yeah, I would say the Athens, Texas has the biggest claim as the Athens of Texas. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's reflective of just the uh, vibrant educational scene in Waco early on and continuing. This will be a two-part episode, so we'll get into uh, uh, some latter institutions in the second. But we want to start at the earliest period here, Rick. So where do we start if we well, want to start with education yeah, in Waco? You know, you think about the I mean, there's a frontier town, really, in the in the 1850s. Um, you know, Waco, McLennan County, kind of on the edge of the frontier. Uh, but even then, uh, in, in the earliest stages, they were already thinking about higher education. It was already um, uh, something that was happening. I mean, most of us uh, know that the story of, of Baylor founded in 1845, um, and it's known as the longest continuous institution, but it wasn't founded in Waco. It was founded in um, Independence, Texas. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll get a little bit more on that in a minute and how that, how uh, how and why it ended up in Waco. But it is interesting to say or, or to think about the Republic of Texas w- was interested in starting these institutions of higher learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, contextualize this for us. If we talk about uh, Waco as uh, the uh, the areas founded in 1849, the, the city and county organized the next year, contextualize that for us with regard to education. What's going on in the state during that period? Yeah, so between the the founding of Texas as a as a republic to before it joined the union, um, the uh, the legislator granted um, 
or, or put out uh, grants for eight universities, seven colleges, 10 academ- uh, academies, and four institutes. Now, I don't know what the difference is and how they categorize yeah. those four in, uh, in different ways. Um, and in fact, Baylor wasn't the oldest one to, uh, to receive a grant and to be founded, but it's the only one that survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, con- the oldest surviving year. Continuously operating, I think, is what yeah. they. Is what yeah, they there's say. some people down in Georgetown who mm-hmm. try to uh, try to make that claim, but yeah, yeah, they 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 stopped operating somewhere in there. So yeah, and then yeah. after Texas became part of the Union up to the Civil War, they they granted charters for another 117 institutions. So, um, it it uh, I don't know. I just think it's a little interesting. I mean, people are in survival mode. I mean, they're founding, uh, communities. They're just starting from scratch in a lot of these areas, uh, and, and bringing civilization to, to, uh, um, parts of Texas that hadn't been, hadn't been settled. So it, it is interesting to me that they are, they're making it a priority. So, mm-hmm. uh, I can really appreciate that. And if you look at it, if you look at, at the ones that are started, the biggest driver tends to be the religious community, mm-hmm. the um, very denominationally driven. Mm-hmm. Um, se- seems like the world was more tribal back then when it came to your religious denomination. Um, uh, in fact, if you of of those that were started, let me give you the the uh, the stats real quick. Um, so broken down by denomination. The Methodists were the most prolific group in founding colleges. They they inaugurated 21 by the end of the 19th century. The Baptists were next with 10 um, by the end of, the, uh, of that same time period. And then right behind them, the Presbyterians had eight, the Catholics four, Church of Christ three, Episcopalians and Lutherans with two each, and the Congregationalists with one. Wow, where was the Congregationalist College? I have no idea. I have no idea. But but who's it, counting? Not who's in, keeping not score? Not in Waco, we right. know that. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny you should mention that. I, I think that those stats are really interesting. And when uh, De Cordoba and Erath kind of laid out Waco, they reserved one block for mm-hmm. educational institutions. And so it was a city block bounded by 2nd, 3rd, Webster, and Jackson, and it is there, keeping with those stats you just mentioned, that the Methodists found uh, the first college in 1856, which is Waco Female College. Yes. Yes. Um, in fact, there's a great map that mm-hmm. our, our, our sponsor. Our uh, named sponsor. Yeah, Home Abstract there at their main location uh, off Woodway, um, the access road there in Woodway. Uh, right off their lobby, they've got this map from 1869 that they found in their archives. And I was, I was looking at that the other day and it actually has that, uh, a block of land laid out that says, um, uh, university, they were, they were setting that aside, uh, purposely for the, uh, uh, addition of these higher ed education, uh, institutions. So yeah, so Waco female college. It has a pretty good run from 1856 to 1893. Um, it was a uh, it was a consolidation of an original. The 1856 part was the Waco Female Seminary, and um, and then it it uh, in 1857 um, was combined with the Waco Female Academy. 
with I don't know the difference between a seminary and academy. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess one's more of a religious. Yeah, period. one's focused on religious yeah. education. Yeah. So, so in that early period, so from what I saw, by the time you get to the Civil War, there are basically two higher education. There's Waco Female College is operating, Waco University is operating, and those both remain open uh, during the war. And so those kind of survived the war when a lot of other schools were shutting right, down. Right, right, right. Now, that the, the Waco University, I think originally mm-hmm. called Waco Classical School, then Waco University, it, it had an early on Baylor connection. So what was that? Is this the Burleson uh, yeah. connection? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Burleson's on the scene for a long time. Yeah. He had a falling out of some sort in independence, mm-hmm. moved uh, him and his staff, came up to Waco to uh, um, run Waco University. Um, I will say th- there is a little bit of a connection to one of my uh, previous episodes I did on how Waco got cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're yeah. Talk, we're talking uh, about that's it. a great episode, by the way. Listener, if you have not heard that episode, drop this podcast and go <laughs> back and listen to how Waco got you cool. You can wait till after the podcast. You'll be all right. But but in that I talk about the, one of the driving reasons for creating air conditioning was trying to solve the problem of uh, yellow fever and malaria that yeah. pe- that people were having. They didn't they didn't understand the the true cause, but they just realized that if they, you know, could control their environment more or live far enough north away from the swampy lands, they didn't get those sicknesses. And I think that was one of the driving factors. Independence is down there in the swampy lands, and uh, people tended to get sick, but they, uh, in fact, in one of the handbooks, it specifically talked about they wanted to get out of the long moss and yellow fever region. Yeah. Um, it uh, The Waco University, which, uh, of course, uh, later is going to merge into Baylor University when it comes from independence was kind of a active school was a very active school. What are some stats on it? Yeah. So, um, well, one of the, one of the, uh, handbooks I read in 18, uh, by 1876, they were matriculating more students than any other institution West of the Mississippi is their claim. So yeah, uh, that's quite a that. claim. Yeah. And, uh, and also, uh, it claims in 1866 they became one of the first co-ed institutions in the South, and uh, it does seem early. It does seem yeah. really early. Um, so. eight, 1881 uh, control of Waco University is transferred to the Baptist General Association. So yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, that's an interesting part. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't started. Uh, it was what was the name of it? The Trinity Baptist Association. It was actually a organization a little further north of here that started the college in Waco. That's right, but it has a conversion at some point uh, and becomes Baptist. Yeah, and then I think that's where the uh, leaders of the Baptist Convention said, "Hey, there's, you know, we don't need two of these universities. Let's let's consolidate them." Um, and I think at that point, Waco as a as a vibrant community. Crossroads town with uh, a rail tap and a bridge and a much better transportation network uh, and not having the yellow fever um, part of it probably drove a lot of that decision to consolidate into Waco. Mm-hmm. But they kept the Baylor name. So I have uh, I found a list in 1878 in the Waco Examiner that talks about uh, who's operating in town as far as schools go. And so there's Waco Female College operating. There's Waco University operating. And that's still kind of it as far as colleges go. 
uh, mm-hmm. at that point in time. So even though it, it's going to be called the Athens of Texas, it's about to pick up speed here, but it gets a slow start in the early years. Right. Um, I think the next one to be added to the list was Paul Quinn. Mm-hmm. Now, it didn't actually start in Waco. It, it eventually moved to Waco. Um, but similar to what we said a minute ago, it was founded by a religious institution, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and it was founded in Austin in 1872. Um, I think in 81, uh, is it late 70s? I think it's, uh, I had 1881 is when it makes its move moved to, Waco. to Waco initially. And most folks don't know, it was at Marion 8th, uh, originally were the location for Paul Quinn College before they move out to what was the former Garrison Plantation. So if the, mm. the street that borders uh, Paul Quinn campus now is Garrison, and that is named for the Garrison Plantation. There were 31 acres up there that became the home of Paul Quinn uh, when it moved up to an area that, uh, and you may remember this from our East Waco episode, that was called the hill. And there was the hill and then the bottom. So the hill in East Waco uh, became the home of Paul Quinn College. Um, so where did the name Paul Quinn come from? Yeah, so uh, Paul Quinn is named in honor of Bishop William Paul Quinn, uh, who was a, a leader in the AME church. Mm-hmm. Um, at the at their initial location, uh, this is this is freedmen now that are, that are and women that, well freedmen that are going to school new, newly freed slaves men and women. They're taught blacksmithing, carpentry, tanning, saddlery, and other such skills. Um, I said thirty one acres is actually twenty one acres of the old Garrison plantation uh, is where it moves. Great. Yeah, it was one of the, uh, it was the first uh, black uh, African-American college in Texas. Now, it didn't stay in Waco, it, you know, and it went through its ups and downs. It's going to have a long history in Waco yeah, before yeah. it leaves, however, over a hundred year history. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And and uh, went through some tragedies. I think uh, one, one thing, you know, getting back to my Chamber of Commerce roots, uh, in the 50s, the chapel had burned down in mm-hmm. the girls' dorm. And the the chamber in the business community raised a hundred thousand dollars to rebuild. Um, so it's great to see the community coming together to make sure they, they, um, um, supported the college. And then, um, I believe it was in the late eighties, uh, 1980s or early 1990s. It when, leaves in the early 1990s. And, uh, it uh, and then around the turn of the century, the this latest turn of the century, uh, Rappaport Academy begins to move in and kind of take a building at a time, right, rehabbing right. it and opening it up. But Paul Quinn moves to the grounds of the old Bishop College in Dallas, and so Paul Quinn is still operating, but no longer in Waco. Right. Yeah, but you love the fact that it's it's still uh, being used for educational purposes. Which is an interesting fact is that you dig in the history, there are other institutions that are called academies and colleges. You know, one that that uh, um, pops up is St. Basil's College mm-hmm. was at the, at the turn of the uh, early 1900s was a, a boys school here in Waco. 
But when you really look at the details of it, it was a preparatory school. You know, these weren't higher, it wasn't a higher educational, you know, they weren't giving out bachelor's degrees or anything like that. They were getting kids ready to go to, to college. So I find it interesting. It's probably somewhere along the way, the term college and universities, it probably evolved to mean different things. And as things started to get accredited and whatnot, um, I don't know, you might have some more information on that since that's your world. <clears throat> yeah. W- one thing that, um, I want to mention on uh, Paul Quinn. So currently there's an effort to, to try to uh, rehab William Decker Johnson hall, right? Which is kind of that last building that hasn't been touched. And uh, William Decker Johnson hall was influential to Jimmy Carter. In fact, this, this kind of came out recently where he mentioned the influence of William Decker Johnson on him. And so it's a, you know, it's got kind of some natural, it's a really interesting building because it's a, a very solid building that needs about $10 million worth of work now. Uh, but a really important building on that location. And hopefully there's plans now, actually they've even talked about Paul Quinn, maybe offering when that building gets redone, offering classes in that building again, which will, which would be kind of Paul Quinn coming back home. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how costs have escalated. You could build a whole new dorm and chapel for a hundred K in fifties, fifties, <laughs> but now, uh, yeah, you need millions to rehab a building. Mm-hmm. So speaking of things, you know, what's in a name, there was a Hills business college mm-hmm. that opened in 1881 at 4th and Franklin. And you look at these business schools or these early things that were called business colleges or business schools. And you know, it, it was more of a, seems like more of a, uh, a, a training ground for people working in industry in the back office, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, bookkeeping, accounting, um, uh, other basic skills you would need to be able to run a business. Um, I don't think it would be necessarily considered a classical education at the time. Yeah. But, you know, as businesses are professionalizing in the late 19th century, they need uh, people with qualifications to kind of manage these places. And so, yeah, you see several of these bu- business colleges pop up. Yeah. And a few in Waco. Yeah, yeah, quite a few, actually. And so Hills Business College, by 1893, it had 430 students, which is pretty significant for the time. Um, and um, it it made it to uh, 1900 before it closed. Um, yeah, just to compare that, so when, when Baylor University comes to Waco uh, in 1887 and merges with Waco University, it has 337 students. Yeah. So, so that does give you, uh, you know, Hill Business College, um, not too long after that, has about 100 more students than <laughs> right, Baylor University. Right. Yeah. But, and let's, let's uh, keep on with the business college theme real quick um, before coming back to one of the traditional universities. Uh, so Toby's business college, not too long in 1893 is, is started up. I think this came up in the sports crossroads episode. They had a, they had a sports team. Yeah. They had a football team. Baylor's first football game, I think was against Toby's business college. (laughs) You don't, you don't want to get taken down by Toby's business college. (laughs) That would not be good. That would, that would, uh, keep you out of the tournament for sure. Yeah, it was started. So Toby is a guy, uh, Edward Toby. Uh, began teaching at night in his home in 1890, uh, and he resigned his bookkeeping position at uh, Provident National Bank in 1893 
uh, to teach full-time during the day. And by 1899, he's chartered his own college. Yeah. Toby's Business College. Yep. And he just kind of started, I mean, kind of entrepreneurially. He was doing it out of his house and at night. And that, that eventually rolled into a full-time gig. Well, if you want to talk about rivals to Baylor during the 1890s, uh, there's another one you got to bring well, but, up. Right. But, well, there's more and more business school I want uh, to bring oh, yeah, up. You want to go through I, all the business schools. Well, so. I mean, we're kind of on that roll. So, <laughs> uh, Central City Commercial College, also known as 4C Business School. Uh-huh. Um, it pops up in 1924. And, um, uh, you know, one of its, one of its calling cards uh, was... <clears throat> or they, they put it at a location at, at Washington and eighth street. And uh, apparently it was a successful location because every streetcar in the city passes within one block of its doors. So <laughs> it was a breakaway from Toby's. Uh, so a uh, group. Yeah. Uh, some folks who were employed at Toby's broke away and started their own uh, thing. And, and 4C lasts a long time. 4C runs uh, on up to the end of the century, I think, up to the end of the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. It uh, changes hands a few times and closes in 1994. Uh, I will point out, just because it's the uh, nature of this podcast, it was uh, it was at a crossroads within the crossroads. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a meta, yeah. very meta. Yeah. Okay, so now let's go to the... Yeah, tell me about this big rival that this, comes to town. This, uh, this rivalry that gets started. Adran College. Adran College. College. So it's a, uh, it's a condensed name from, from two brothers, Addison and Randolph Clark. And they had kind of, they'd already been on, by the time they got to Waco, they'd already been on a journey to some degree, uh, open up their, their college. Actually the first evolution was, uh, was down in, in, uh, was up in Fort Worth. Uh, they started the male and female seminary of Fort Worth. But, you know, you, you, location, 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 when you think about real estate. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this great piece of land they had ended up being, as, as Fort Worth, um, and this was in 1869. So Chisholm Trail gets going. All these cattle drivers are going through Fort Worth. And I think Fort Worth kind of goes through a, a, a period of debauchery is what I read. Yeah. <laughs> it's how it's described. <laughs> well, and, I, I feel like it's still in that uh, <laughs> era. Yeah. And, uh um, so it's not great to have your male, female seminary right in the midst of the, you know, the vice, uh, uh, district of, of your, of your city. So, <laughs> so they swung, they like, man, we got to get out of here. So they swung hard and they actually took their college out to Thorpe Springs. Yeah. sounds like Gamora to me in, yeah. uh, in Hood County in 1873. So they went, they, they, they were like, we're going to get away from everything. <laughs> um, I think they realized that, that maybe they were a little too far out there. And as transportation networks started to develop, especially railroads, uh, they were enticed to come to uh, come to Waco because Waco Female College, there was there was a period of depression, economic depression in there in the 1890s. Yeah, so 1893 to 95, there's a panic followed by an economic depression. Yeah, yeah. and apparently it took out the Waco female college that mm-hmm. we had discussed earlier. And so the vacant buildings available and a much more desirable transportation hub and much more, uh, a lot more opportunities for their students. So they came here in 1895. Um, so the faculty and students of Adran college 
arrived by train in Waco on Christmas Eve, 1895. Wow. And so it begins operation soon after that. Uh, 1902, it becomes Texas Christian University, and we see that in the catalog starting in 1903. Right. And so they, they had a good 15-year run, and, and what, what brought about, about its uh, exit, or the beginnings of the exit, uh, and, and there's some old pictures out there of their buildings and their campus. They had a beautiful uh, you know, main administration building. Well, it burns. It burns in 1910. And um, Yeah, you can see those pictures on the Waco History app. There's also some pictures of the fire. We have some pictures of the, the, the campus in flames. Yeah. Um, well, so, um, there they were, uh, you know, lost their main building. Um, and, uh, the, the folks, the, the community leaders in Fort Worth saw an opportunity. They, yeah. Uh, yeah so insurance didn't cover the loss. So losses were about a hundred thousand. I think insurance was like 29,000 or something right. like that. Uh, the university made appeals all over the state to help rebuild and the best offer came from Fort Worth for, for 200, uh, $200,000 and 50 acres of land. They landed. That's a pretty good deal. That is. It's a gift that keeps on giving. In fact, as we're discussing this, it makes me think about the comments we made a second ago about Paul Quinn. Mm -hmm. And when that burned down, that, that would still have been in the memory of the local, um, folks here in Waco and you know, that probably was a good motivation. It, and it's not the only time someone has tried to um, pull, pull one of these institutions away from Waco. Mm-hmm. That's right. In fact, uh, uh, my institution, uh, Baylor university was tempted uh, with uh, in, in the late 1920s as, um, as Baylor was entering into some financial difficulties in the late 1920s. Uh, Dallas uh, was a, the leading candidate to lure uh, Baylor away from Waco to Dallas. Dallas, which, as you pointed out before we began recording, didn't have a major uh, university at the time uh, outside, I guess, uh, Southern Methodist University. It didn't have a major uh, uh, university at the time, so there was a hope to kind of lure Baylor to Dallas uh, and actually, the city of Waco stepped up. Uh, one of the things that Baylor needed was a performance space. And so uh, Baylor got together, or, or the leading citizens of Baylor got together, organized a fundraising campaign. Of Waco. Of Waco. citizens of Waco. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, of Waco. Yeah. Uh, organized a fundraising campaign and raised the money to build... Waco Hall. Waco Hall. So Waco Hall, which is built uh, in the early 1930s, and... As of last weekend, it is still uh, Baylor's main performance hall. Right. And that's why you see, you know, that building gets used a lot in a um, community-wide effort. You know, I think the Waco Symphony Orchestra and other organizations um, are, are uh, users of that space. And, um, yeah, so I think that uh, that sealed the deal. That kept them here. And it was a great investment. So. Yeah, yeah, it paid off. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we didn't have really said this, but kind of the post World War II area, which we're getting close to as we've as we've discussed some of these, that'll be covered in our part two episode mm-hmm. where we'll we'll talk about 
a couple of the, the institutions that are very prominent here in TSTC and MCC. Um, but there are some tangents. There are some tangents here I think are yeah. worth mentioning. You know, Man. some of the little, the, 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 the trivia of life. But uh, uh, what's one that bears mentioning? So Richard Koch, who we described in mm-hmm. the uh, Crossroads political podcast, that he, he was a, a governor of Texas from Waco er, early on in the uh, in our statehood. And while he was in office, that's when both uh, UT and Texas A&M were founded. Now, you know, they, these are both known as land-grant colleges. And I, fi- I found it interesting uh, you know, there was a, there was a federal, uh, I think the Morrell act that, mm-hmm. that establishes the land grant colleges, uh, nationally, mm-hmm. um, to the States and, and, uh, in Texas, we don't have many federal lands, right? I mean, that's, that's how, right. that's how the, the, the federal government was, was providing the, the capital to start these colleges was by, by dispersing some of their federal lands. So in lieu of that, they gave, um, they gave the state of Texas, state of Texas, uh, script, so to speak, in other federal lands um, out west, that then the uh, um, the the state was able to uh, sell those uh, sell those that that script to generate the the money to found those colleges. And if I want to say they sold those they sold those lands for like eight cents an acre. Mm. A heck of a bargain. <laughs> it was a good deal. Like seven hundred and thirty thousand acres, um, um, out west. So, anyway, so Coke was uh, was part of doing that, and then another famous governor from Waco, Sol Ross. After his time, so by the time he was governor, things were a little shaky at Texas A and M. Some of us might say they're still a little shaky, <laughs> but you know, that might be my perspective. Anyway. He uh he he comes in he finishes his time as a governor and um, becomes president of the Texas Agricultural and Mechanics College mm-hmm. uh, and it, it was really kind of credited for turning the the uh, university around and putting it on the path uh, that it is today. That's right. There's a statue uh, of him, uh, I think, at Texas A&M University. But we also have Sol Ross State. Uh, yeah, named after him. Another another significant uh, um, university in in Texas. Okay, here's one that most people might not realize. So there was a, and this is connected to Sol Ross too. Mm-hmm. So William Prather, he was a, a, a local businessman, lawyer actually. Uh, I think he'd served uh, district attorney and some other roles in the community, but he gets appointed under the board of UT by Sol Ross in 1887. By 1899, he was the chairman of the board. And then in a, and I don't know how this happens, but in a move, uh, he becomes president of the university in 1900 and uh, stays there until his death in 1905. So local Wacoan that was the president of UT, his, uh, uh, He's credited with coining the term, the eyes of Texas are upon you. Now, he mm-hmm. didn't write the song. That was something the students did uh, later on. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, the, uh, the the 
creator of that uh, of that saying. He coined the phrase. He coined the phrase. Yeah. Yes. Uh, John Tarleton uh, is is really an interesting character, and actually, we probably need to do an episode sometime on John John Tarleton. But uh, he's a big landowner in Texas. Uh, he's born um, around we don't know eighteen oh eight, eighteen eleven. We have different uh, dates for that. But he wanders kind of the west uh, at a young age, uh, and he he's a store clerk. Uh, in Tennessee, uh, where he's uh, he's in Knoxville, Tennessee, he's a school teacher for a while, gets a job being a store clerk, works about forty years, saving his money, and then he, then he buys a large plot of land uh, in Texas, out in Erath uh, County in Texas, and then he comes to Texas to kind of see his land. Um, he finds people living on his land. And so he actually ends up in Waco uh, in 1860 or 1861. It's probably and, safe to say hostile people. Yeah, hostile on people on his land, yeah. Yes. Uh, he, and he uh, sets up a mercantile uh, store uh, in Waco. And eventually, at uh, later in life, he falls in love. Yeah, actually marries the widow of one of your fam- favorite people. The best name in the history of people named in Texas. So this is it. Uh, Talifus, Telemachus, Louis, Augustus, uh, Abactus, Johnson. So, yes. Otherwise known, otherwise known by his friends as TJ. Yeah, yeah. Or Tell. You, you hear some of him called Tell at times. Uh, but John Tarleton marries his widow uh, named Mary. Mary. Mary Louise Johnson. Mary yeah. Louise Johnson. Uh, and Mary Louise Johnson... Um, well, we'll we'll say the local connection for her, uh, Mary Street. So just over running parallel to Franklin is Mary Street, and it's named uh, named after her. Do you have any streets named after your wife? Are you? Uh, I do not. I have a. a, a it, that's aspirational, but no. Okay. I, All right. <laughs> yeah, well, if you not. really loved her, I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> you'd make that happen. Yeah. Uh, but John Charlton, of course, leaves a, a quite a legacy. And what's that, Rick? Well, so he he does eventually leave. Away. His 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 uh, marriage only lasts a year um, with Mary. He ends up uh, he, he was successful in Waco. You know, ran one of the biggest mercantile shops. I think he was also involved with one of the local hotels. And uh, but eventually, as the frontier moves, his land becomes uh, less hostile. He ends up moving out to Palo Pinto County. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's Erath and Pelopinto, yeah. Yep, ends up moving out there. And then um, in his will, he bequeaths uh, a large amount of his estate. $85,000, which is a lot at the time. Yeah, um, to the founding of a college in Stephenville. Tarleton State University. Eventually it becomes Tarleton State. Yeah. So another... Interesting tangent, another crossroads through Waco. Yeah, and so there's a, um, a statue there on the campus uh, of Tarleton uh, as well, honoring John Tarleton's uh, bequeath to create that institution. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we can um, pick this up in part two. Yeah, so that that brings us up really to uh, around World War II um, as we kind of talk about the development of educational institutions. And I think we've arranged, we're going to have some special guests with us uh, next time to help bring this story. Yeah, up some today. people that know a little bit more than we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might be a little more interesting. So uh, be sure and tune in for the next episode. Oh,
Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.